what I appreciate about Paul when he says that in First Corinthians six, he starts with "Do not." He's, he's talking to Christians. And he says, "Do not be deceived. Right. Uh, d- don't lose the plot of." Truth is what's at stake here because of who God is and what he's revealed. Mm -hmm. And if you are deceived to thinking that these types of people, which you were once one, Mm -hmm. will inherit the kingdom, you're you're deceived. Mm -hmm. So he's helping kind of clear the fog of it's not actually loving or serving the LGBT community by just saying, you know what, you guys are, it's okay. We we understand. That, That doesn't serve them because it's a it's it's indulging in their deception and it's also deceiving in our on our own part. You're listening to Make and Multiply, a podcast devoted to equipping the members of Emmaus Road Church to make and multiply disciples of Jesus Christ in the city of Sioux Falls. The people of Emmaus Road are committed to regular rhythms of gathering and scattering. We gather corporately in worship on Sunday mornings. We gather in missional communities and discipleship huddles, and we scatter throughout our city where we want to give every resident of Sioux Falls repeated opportunities to hear and respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Make and Multiply. My name is Matt Grun, and I am one of the pastors at Emmaus Road Church, and I'm joined today by my good friend Ryan Chase, who's another pastor and elder at Emmaus, and Caleb Durnberger, uh, a pastoral resident at Emmaus. And it's a joy to be with you men uh, this day, this midweek day, and um, yeah, this is a, a sweet time for us to sit down and chat. And we're going to take this week and kind of come back around to our various listener questions. It's sweet to to get these and it, they're growing. So keep sending them in and know that we all, we do read through them. We do look through them. And um, this is, there's just, there's been a couple that have come in that I think are uh, relative to our time and our, our, our day. So we're going to address uh, the first one. They're all related, but this, this first one is just simply says, how should we present the gospel in a winsome way specifically to those in the LGBT community? Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's a, that's a big question. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a, that's a broad question. And I think what's inevitable, it seems nowadays, is that this is not a question, a theoretical question of if you are to ever bump into somebody someday, some rare chance, but rather all of us now inevitably are rubbing shoulders closer and closer with this community, the LGBTQ plus whatever community. Mm-hmm. Um, it just seems like that's becoming more and more of an inevitable thing. All of a sudden, your Starbucks barista is different than it used to be. You know, they're, they're just, it's becoming closer and closer to home. So this is an inevitable question. As Christians, uh, as, as gospel-centered Christians, our aim is not to detach ourselves from the world and flee these things, but to engage with it um, because we believe we have a message. We have hope for, for lost people. So mm-hmm. that's the, the general question is how to present the gospel in a, in a winsome way, how to evangelize, how to engage with the LGBT community. So let's start there and, and mm-hmm. see what comes out. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I think that there are uh, just a few foundational principles. One is the way you present the gospel is you have to know people. Um, that's true in any evangelism. The, the, the first and oftentimes one of the biggest hurdles is just... Um, you know, building relationships with people, knowing mm-hmm. people, it takes communication. Evangelism is, um, you know, the, the gospel is presented in words. There, we have a verbal witness. And so spending time with lost people is a 
a key part of any evangelism. Um, but then, you know, I think this question is getting more specifically at how do you, how do you talk about the gospel mm. probably with, um, somebody who is same sex attracted or identifies as LGBTQ. Um, and uh, again, I think foundationally just having a, a biblical perspective on the nature of sin, the, mm-hmm. the universal human problem and mm-hmm. The, being convinced that the gospel really is good news. It, it's offensive to anybody who's in sin, but by God's grace, it's the gospel that God uses to open people's eyes. So I, I just think of passages like 1 Corinthians 6, where Paul says, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Right. Those are really hard words. Yes. Mm-hmm. The unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. And then he goes on, do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but you were washed, Mm -hmm. you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of our God. I I think that's helpful in just kind of leveling the playing field Mm -hmm. that different people struggle with different sins. Sin manifests in different ways, but all of us are in that category of we were the unrighteous who would not inherit the kingdom of God apart from the grace of God. And I've just found in conversations, sometimes if you know people want to get into an argument or a debate specifically about homosexuality, you can just back up and cover sin, other sins. Right, you know, it's, yeah. it's not like that's the only sin in this person's life mm-hmm. that disqualifies them. You could Talk about any other sin. Yeah. How many lies have you told in your life? Well, right. there you go. If we just set aside the area of sexuality for a moment, you're not going to heaven. Right. <laughs> you're not mm-hmm. right with God uh, because you're a liar and a thief and a murderer at heart. And and sometimes that can be helpful just to get around some of those other defenses. Yeah. Like if it comes across as though mainly our message is homosexuality is bad and we're trying to win that argument, that mm-hmm. debate... Um, there's just so much more to the right. message that we're presenting. The, the gospel, Jesus saves sinners, yeah. and sin comes out in all of these ways. So yes, homosexuality is a sin. We're not trying to water that down right. or shy away from that, but it is possible to engage somebody in conversation, even on other sins manifested yeah. in their life, to show that they need a savior. That's really the what it comes down to. Right, and, and that engagement, <clears throat> in that discussion is not you've transgressed my law right as if i'm standing on a on on the pedestal saying you need i'm the perfect one you need to get on my no there's by by broadening that scope of sin we recognize and make clear to all people that the, this law is is a sin or this sin is against the law of the almighty yeah. god who yeah. rules over all of us including me so so the gospel the good news apply and the sins i've committed apply to me in the first case um, and that, i think that helps also kind of level the the playing field of like, okay, we have something in common. Even though I might not struggle with the same sin as you, I struggle with sin. Right. Um, a really helpful uh, book on this, um, or an author, Rosaria Butterfield, I, I forget what which book she said it in, but in counting her, um, her story, her uh, trans, or her conversion story, she, she was a committed, she was in a committed lesbian relationship, professor at Syracuse, I believe, mm-hmm. in gender studies uh, or language or something like that. And like the most of the most yeah. <laughs> that circle as you could Radical get. Radical feminist, lesbian, yes. yeah. And she, over many years of, through the hospitality and warmth of her neighbors who were, uh, who's a pastor and his wife, 
kept having her over for meals and just allowed her to ask questions, slowly began to realize, and she she accounts this thing there. She says, I realized over time that uh, what I needed saving from was not my homosexuality. What I needed was saving from my sin. Mm. That Yes, homosexuality was her particular um, high-handed sin against God, but no different than, like you said, the lies other people tell or the lusts that other uh, hetero- heterosexual people face or whatever, that the sin, because of who we're sinning against, has a commonality. Yeah. Um, and thus, the cost is the same. Uh, and what I appreciate about Paul when he says that in 1 Corinthians 6, he starts with do not, he's, he's talking to Christians, and he says, do not be deceived. Right. Uh, d- don't lose the plot of truth is what's at stake here because of who God is and what he's revealed. Mm-hmm. And if you are deceived to thinking that these types of people, which you were once one, mm-hmm. will inherit the kingdom. You're, you're deceived. Mm-hmm. So he's helping kind of clear the fog of it's not actually loving or serving the LGBT community by just saying, you know what, you guys are, it's okay. We, we understand. Yeah. That, that doesn't serve them because it's, a, it's, it's indulging in their deception and it's also deceiving in our, on our own part yeah. because that's what sin is. It's deception. So Paul says clearly, do not be deceived. And then he gives hope, but you were once that way and now you aren't. Now you have been sanctified and you have been justified in the name of the Lord Jesus. And so act that way and call others to that. And and that, that means if it can happen to me, it can happen to others. There's hope there. Yep. Yeah. I think what's helpful about Rosaria Butterfield's testimony when she shares that realization that she came to, I think she's getting at the point that sin manifests. If you think of it as kind of the, the fruit that comes out of the root of our hearts, it, it manifests differently in different people's lives. But the root issue is our idolatry and our unbelief. Mm. So, you know, she wasn't saying homosexuality is not a problem. She's saying for her, homosexuality was just one of the symptoms of the root issue right. of idolatry, unbelief, rebellion against God. So actually she's even worse than she thought she was. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and Jesus saves from that. Her story is incredible. I do think that is a helpful um, book because it gives a great picture of how compelling uh, witness can be, uh, the corporate witness, because that pastor and his wife, uh, she first got connected with them when that pastor wrote her a letter mm-hmm. after something that she had written. And she said she always sorted her mail into like fan mail and hate mail. And she'd just throw away the hate mail and keep the fan mail. And she, she'd got this letter from this pastor and she kept moving it back and forth between her two stacks. And she didn't know what, where to categorize it. Cause she didn't know what to do with it because it was clear that he disagreed with her. Uh, but it was also clear that he cared deeply hmm. for her. And eventually they met in person. This pastor and his wife had her over repeatedly, showed her hospitality. And she always knew exactly where they stood in terms of their convictions. They weren't trying to, you know, hide that from her at all, mm. but they loved her. They welcomed her into their home. And over time, you know, their ideas become more and more compelling and believable because of the kind of lives that they mm-hmm. lived that confirmed to her. These people aren't just saying things. They, they mean this and that she experienced grace through both their words and their, their hospitality. So that is a great picture. You know, it's, it's not just a matter of engaging somebody in a debate and trying to win the debate as though that, you know, we're trying to win people to Christ. Mm -hmm, And so there are truth claims involved, certainly, but ultimately we are holding out a message of redemption Mm -hmm. and reconciliation. Like Paul says, 
uh, in Second Corinthians five, we are ministers of reconciliation. We are through, through us, God is making this appeal to the world: be reconciled to God. So it's not mainly a message of condemnation and judgment. Although mm. there's bad news that right. we are God's enemies, which is critical. But but there's good news, and and yeah. I think that's um, it, it's easy to fall into that of just being against things, mm. just condemning things that. God calls sin without also holding out the hope of the gospel to people. Mm-hmm. That's right. But like you're saying, I, Romans three comes to my mind um, in, in verse 19 when Paul says, "We know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God." Mm-hmm. So the that's a function of the law of God that it stops every single mouth mm-hmm. when you come to God's perfect, righteous, holy law. Every single mouth is stopped and the whole world is held accountable to God. And you can take all of God's law to do that. Yeah. Um, and, and, and we should be able to help people see their need for a savior multi-dimensionally, not just in the area of uh, sexuality, although that, you know, again, we're not afraid to talk about that, but we're idolaters at heart. Mm-hmm. We have taken God's name in vain. Mm-hmm. Um, we have dishonored our parents. We have lied. We have stolen. We have coveted. And in the area of you know the seventh commandment, adultery and sexual sin, that also is a an area to address with people. So mm-hmm. I, I think those are some helpful um, principles yeah. to to keep in mind. I, I think one of the in my experience, one of the the deepest and hardest things about engaging uh, that makes this conversation so hard is because it feels so um, that these are these are desires and passions that uh, it's not like they're um, deep rooted, uh, truth that they've just like a, like a, an intellectual exercise that, you know, we've just come to conclude this because of all the thinking we've done. No, it, it really does feel like it's coming from a place of natural desire, mm-hmm. natural. This is just how God made me. Uh, and we, and I often hear of Christian parents whose children have, um, joined the LGBT community out of an abundance of, of desire to love their child saying, well, God made me, God made them this way. These are, these are, you know, these are just desires. They didn't ask for them. It's just how it was formed. Um, I, I think that's a, that's a level of depth we have to get to, Mm. um, recognizing that what you, what, because that goes with what the LGBT community doesn't need is not just an argument. Um, because what's chiefly engaged is not the mind Mm. it's desires and passions and things that we long for. Mm. Um, and good things like, unity and community and, uh, intimacy and all these things, they're just misdirected, but they are at the level of passion and desire. And often those things are not thought through as they come out. They, they just are what they are. So it feels like you're asking me to go against my nature. Hmm. And the answer is yes, (laughs) but the good news of the gospel is you can. So Paul in, in Galatians five, after recounting the, uh, the, the fruit of the spirit, um, where he says, but the fruit of the spirit are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control against such things. There is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and mm-hmm. desires. So part of what it means to submit to Christ and to be in union with him is that not just our actions and our minds and our, our thinking mm-hmm. is renewed, but our very desires and passions are changed because that's the hope of the new covenant is that my old heart, my old dead heart is now replaced with a heart of flesh that actually can produce such things like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, and all the rest. So it, it really is, yeah, 
there is not any part of me that is commendable to God. Right. There's no part of me that is quote unquote natural in a naturally more a naturally right way with God. Hmm. All of it for all of us needs to be upended yeah. and be and be uprooted. And we need and like you were saying, right, a new tree. We need a new root. It's not just we don't just need new fruit. Right. It's not just stop doing that action. Yeah, change the outward practices. Right. I need I need it all the way down to the to the core. Hmm. So I just helpful to me to thinking like in fact, like Rosario, you, it's a lot bigger than you think. You're a lot worse off than you think. I am a lot worse off. I was a lot worse off than I thought. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's kind of that, it's kind of like Eustace in the Voyage of the Entrader where he tries to claw this, the dragon off. It's, he can't go deep enough. Mm-hmm. He needs Aslan to come in and go all the way to the heart yeah. and it hurts. But then after a while, it, it's, it's, it's actual, actually liberating. Yeah. Mm. That's good. Yeah. Amen. I mean, you guys, you literally said everything I was going to say, so I would just be repeating. (laughs) That's good. good. Yeah. Other passages I would encourage people, you know, read and reflect on uh, Titus three, Ephesians two. Those are passages that just encapsulate the testimony of every one of us. We were dead in our sins and our trespasses in which we once walked following all once lived in the passions of our flesh, right? right. Carrying out the desires of the body. Right. Yep. Yeah, so when when you get that, it, it I think that gives us the right heart in evangelism mm. that we are um, as Christians bearing the gospel of God's grace. It, it's good news. We should be joyful as we communicate that. Yeah, that that should be our primary disposition. We have good news for people who are lost in sin, dead, destroying their own lives, um, blinded, enslaved to various passions. We have good news for them, yeah. so it's not an angry thing. It's it's um, a, a joyful, hopeful thing. There was a a second question in this same vein, if you will, um, and a little different, less about evangelizing or engaging with the the, uh, the actual LGBT community with the person struggling with these things, but rather recognizing the shift in our culture and how to be a Christian, a winsome Christian in our culture. Uh, funny enough. Caleb's holding a copy of a book. I brought a copy of uh, a book, this book, Strange New World by Carl Truman, which we've had a podcast on before, recognizing that, because as, as we were preparing for this, I brought this book, you brought this book without talking about it. Um, we do live in a strange new world where, um, so th- this questioner asked, uh, how can I speak the truth in love, specifically with gender identity and confusion. Um, and this listener is in the medical field. So there's questions about preferred pronouns and, and I mean, think of words like care and health. These words are all not neutral. They need a standard. And Mm -hmm. when that standard has shift shifted so hard of, we don't even know what men and women are anymore. How am I supposed to care for particular men or particular women who have ailments in their bodies. Um, so it's just a great question of asking, I now work in an environment and not just the medical field, this can get expanded to, I mean, even Wells Fargo and, and financial worlds of, of personal pronouns and all the rest where you really are. I said this past Sunday in my sermon, you really are getting calls from HR or from campus security yeah. or that that's really happening. It's, mm-hmm. it's not made up. Um, that is really happening. So how do we live in a world and engage winsomely standing on the truth in that kind of, kind of world? That would be a, a, a related but second question. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, and I think what we've, the foundation we're laying is that we need to love 
the truth and, and the truth about what God's word says about ourselves and that sin is deep rooted and yet it comes out our fingertips and comes out our mouths and expressed in our hearts. And this, it's just interesting that we have this question that's been asked now. It's not necessarily just how do I engage <clears throat> someone who's lost in sin or there is this, there's this actual expression of a sin that's very public now. Mm. Um, it's, it's a, it's a lifestyle way, you know, we can sin, we can be liars. We can be those who lust and yet we can do that in a private way. That's not necessarily seen by others. It is seen by God. Um, but this seems there's, there's this next level of living in such a way that is so public and pervasive and, um, and we feel that as lovers of the truth, we, we feel that there's this pushback and we even feel that in the sense that the, the truth that we hold out um, is so scorned even more so publicly <laughs> and is mocked mm. even more so publicly in the public square uh, by those who, who claim to live this way. And so I think there, there, there is that, I, you just sense that in this question of this feels like the ante's been raised in one sense. Mm. Um, and yet a lot of what we've already laid out remains the same. Mm. Um, you know, the truth about our sin is still the truth about our sin and the truth of the gospel, the mercy of God we've been shown is still the power of God for salvation to all who believe. And so, um, but yeah, I think just registering that it's a much more, you know, not done behind closed doors type of thing. It's, it's a whole very loud lifestyle, actually. The, 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 yeah. the LGBT community is a very loud community, yeah. a very passionate community. Um, so, and, and part of its coalition, so, the, you know, question, a question that Truman deals with in his book on, the, on why we always lump these letters together, the LGB, well, T, Q, and all the rest, is that, in a sense, they're a coalition, this group of people that on their own probably aren't loud enough to, to gain traction, but all together become this pretty, like you said, loud, um, pretty aggressive coalition that's actually been producing results. Um, and part of that, uh, part of the confusion of our world is that an element of that coalition is this victimhood status um, of belonging to a class of people, so it says, that have been victimized by the rest of, uh, and, and I think the assumption is by Christian culture um, that actually does recognize it as sin, sin against a God who, who made this world. Um, and so because of that status, what the, the kind of the jujitsu move is by claiming victimhood, they actually become the one in power by being able to, to, to move levers um, in so much that uh, whole businesses, jobs, societies, nations can actually begin to, even if, you know, the individuals, not every individual within that community may profess to believe these things or even struggle with LGBT community type stuff. They still are promoting it in a way that it's, it's a top down, heavy handed, you will do this or get out. Um, so that's what's so, I think that's what's so destabilizing experientially is it's claiming, it's a claim of you don't love us, and you hate us, and you, uh, it, it, you know, this. Vic we are the victims of your oppression, if you will. And then the jujitsu move of, well, now we're going to force you to do something. Yeah. <laughs> so, mm -hmm. I think that's why people, Christians living in America today, are feeling that existential, just like whirlwind of being thrown around in this. 
I'm called because the, because the call from, from the gospel and from the Bible is to love our neighbor. Right. Mm-hmm. But my neighbor seems to think I despise them and then they act a certain way and to get me to want to love them how they want me to love them. And then am I loving them? <laughs> it yeah. just feels very confusing. Yeah. So there are demands about what you have to say and how you have to approve of me and, um, applaud what I'm doing or else you're doing violence against me. And so it, mm-hmm. like, like you're saying, there's, there's a demand. Everybody else has to, um, approve of this and, right. and go along with it. And so it's, it, it's the, the slippery slope has gone very fast from why do you care what consenting adults do in the privacy of their own home to, uh, now you have to publicly endorse my lifestyle, my choices. And, and that's a, that's costly. And I think it's helpful to frame all of this in the context of just historically what Christians have experienced. You know, we, we went from the first half talking about just evangelism, sharing the gospel. Well, it's, it's nothing new for Christians in sharing the gospel to face persecution and opposition, historically speaking. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that in more recent decades in America, there's always been kind of a, a social cost that's, that's gone with that bearing witness. Somebody might reject the gospel. They might not believe in God. They might not want to hear the good news from you. But now we're talking about like potentially losing your livelihood, your, your Mm. very job. If you, uh, you know, talk a certain way or don't use somebody's preferred pronouns. And so there's a cost that goes with that. And I I just think setting it in, in context, like Christians in Rome, where they mm. were, um, you know, the demand was placed on them. Just acknowledge Caesar is Lord yeah. and take a little, you know, pinch of incense and leave it on the altar. And, and the argument could be made, that's such a small thing, right? right? To just offer a pinch of incense on the altar, then everything's good. You can go on your way. We'll leave you alone. You can just, you know, keep being a Christian in your own heart, but do this public act that shows your ability, your, your willingness to comply with mm. our our public idolatrous worship. And there were Christians who lost their lives over that, their unwillingness to leave a pinch of incense on an altar to a false God or to acknowledge Caesar as Lord when their confession is Jesus is Lord. It it seems so small on the one hand, like no big deal, just do it and move on with your life. Mm -hmm. Um, And and so I, I think if we're unaware, we might be expecting persecution and, and, um, hostility to come in in a different way where the demand, the, the stakes seem higher. Cause it seems so small, right? Like what does it cost you to just use somebody's preferred pronouns? Right. Just, just do it. Mm-hmm. Just be a nice person and, and do that. Um, is that really such a, a big thing? But yeah, it, it is a big thing because it's, it's requiring us to go along with a lie to violate the ninth commandment, yeah. to act in an unloving way to that person right. by affirming them in their own self-destructive sin. Um, it, it, it goes against God's creational order. You know, so those who are going along with all of this, especially like in the medical field, you see women as a category are being erased because people are, you know, refusing to word, use words like woman and right. instead using words like birthing person. Right. Um, so even medical terminology is changing. And, and so there, there's a huge cost to go along with that. And so for the sake of um, you know, not just loving somebody who identifies as transgender, but even just loving women in general mm. um, and providing quality medical care yeah. and keeping our sanity that we actually live in God's 
created world and right. there is order and to give people the best possible medical care, we have to acknowledge these God created realities. Right. Mm-hmm. Otherwise we're going to do a lot of harm to many more people. Right. Um, so I, I just, I think it helps me to go to places in scripture like uh, the Sermon on the Mount when Jesus is telling his disciples, you're going to be persecuted. You're going to be hated on account of me. Rejoice and pray for those who mistreat you yes. and bless them. Um, but but don't be surprised either. John 15, Jesus makes the same point. Like the, the world hated me first. So don't be surprised if they hate you also. There, there is some reproach that we bear when we bear the name of Christ. And, and I think we have to be willing to count that cost. And I don't want to downplay at all how costly that is. Mm-hmm. Like that, that I, th- I think we're getting to a point where we're seeing th- the cost might be higher now than, than we've ever really seen in our yeah. society before. It's like that when I, <clears throat> I was reading Solzhenitsyn's Live Not By Lies, and again, Russian, uh, Soviet Union, he's a dissident in communist Russia, um, where there really is, you know, truth, it really is whatever the, the government says. And he says, in, I mean, his whole point of living not by lies is that we cannot go along with this and, and it will cost us something. So he says, uh, some may lose their jobs, but that is the, there are no loopholes to being honest. Mm-hmm. There's no shortcut around suffering in a world that demands lies. Um, there is no shortcut. And I, I think, you know, as you were saying, Ryan, that this slippery slope that's devolved really quickly um, I think as as Christians and as as pastors, we need to just be ready for when it all hits the fan in the sense of there are going to be and already are countless stories of people who have been persuaded by this, um, yeah, by the social contagion of, of gender fluidity and uh, people who have a really scary and powerful book, um, Irreversible Damage by Abigail Schreier. Uh, not a Christian, but but she diagnoses kind of how can it be that we've had such a massive spike in a particular subset of of the population, namely prepubescent in puberty girls, which is not the typical gender dysphoria um, category. How can that? Be? I, I think things like puberty blockers and gender transition uh, surgery, like there is going to be fallout from this in the generations to come. Yeah, and we as Christians, the the message for us to those people is not we were right, we told you so. Um, while that may be true, the truth must lead to compassion. Yeah. Like Jesus looked on Jerusalem and, and wept for it, and had compassion on it, yeah. um, and and he knew the truth. He was the truth, and he was going to die for those people and for us. Um, so I just think as Christians, we need to prepare ourselves now, even in how we interact with, with the LGBT community at the, and, and people who promote it in the workplace and our bosses and HR and campus and all these people and just be ready. But this is going to hit the wall. Mm. Um, it's just an inevitability of living in our father's world is that people who throw them like gravity exists to all people, whether you acknowledge it or not, you throw yourself off a cliff, you may experience some freedom uh, and the freedom of flying, but the inevitability of hitting the ground. And I think this cultural movement will hit ground sooner rather than later. And that's inevitable. And as Christians, we need to be prepared. We need to be uh, prepare our hearts now for ask God for compassion Mm -hmm. and care and love for these people. And 
in so doing, we express our love to them mm-hmm. and we love our neighbor and we, it gives ample opportunity for there is hope. The gospel provides hope for yeah. broken people. First mm-hmm. Peter 3.15 is maybe one of the most helpful places to go in a situation like this um, in answer to that question of how do, how do we navigate this strange new world um, where, where Peter says, he begins, in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord yes. as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. And the foundation of all of that is that first phrase, in your hearts, and actually that's picking up in the middle of a sentence right before that, it says, um, even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you will be blessed, have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. So if you start there, that's the foundation. Have no fear of them, whether that's you know your management or mm. the LGBT community or somebody who is going to slander you. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. I, I think you just have to start there with honoring Christ the Lord, resolving, he is my Lord. I will obey him and honor him no matter the cost. Right. I have already died with him. My life is hidden with Christ. Um, so whatever else people might take from me, my name, my reputation, my job. Um, I've already lost everything with Christ and been raised to life with him. So mm-hmm. when, when you resolve there, I will honor him as holy. I will honor his word as true. I'm not going to participate in lies. Um, that's how you have no fear of them. And, and that's how you begin to prepare yourself to make a defense to mm-hmm. anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that's in you. And then I think practically just a couple of suggestions as people navigate this in real life. A, a winsome, um, non-offensive way to go about it the, to the best of our ability because we can't control other people and their reactions and their emotions, mm-hmm. but um, do it with gentleness and respect. As Peter says, it, just asking questions is is a yeah. good starting point. Um, I think a few categories of questions, like ask clarifying questions if something's handed down from management or whatever, just clarifying, okay, what exactly do we mean by definitions this? Definitions are important. Ask yep. for definitions, ask for clarity, um, ask for definitions of specific, you know, words and terms and things that are are being used. Clarify what exactly am I being asked to do? Mm. What exactly will be the consequences if I don't? Just asking questions to to get clarity. Um, and I think you you can, as you have opportunity, ask follow up questions that kind of put the burden of proof back on other people. Like how, how did you come to that conclusion? Um, th- there are other people doing a lot of thinking and writing these days about what's going on in the medical community. I just came across an article where these, these authors were saying, um, even more alarmingly, this is a quote from the article, we are witnessing a direct assault on the language associated with women's health mm-hmm. in medicine. Uh, terms traditionally used in clinical settings like mothers are being replaced with neutral alternatives like birthing parents. Um, so, so these authors are making a case that you know m- medical care is suffering. So I think you can make an appeal there to people. And, and I would um, recommend just asking questions, again, for clarity in situations like that to, a, say, a manager who passes on here's, here's the new policy or practice that, that we're following. Just asking that, that person, do, do you personally agree with this or mm. are you just doing what you've been told right. from somebody above, above you? Um, because sometimes it's, it's like the emperor's new clothes thing where everybody's just going along with it because they don't want to get in trouble. Right. And, and, and they think, you know, anybody else might report them and turn them in. But if you make an appeal there, do, do you personally agree with this? Mm. <laughs> and you find like, Oh no, I, I, 
think it's wrong too, or think it's crazy. Like if, if people realize, Hey, here's somebody who's willing to stand up and say, the emperor has no clothes, right? <laughs> this is kind of crazy. And I'm not going along with it. Other people are emboldened by that yeah. to stand up and, and say something about it. Um, so uh, those are just a, a few thoughts I have on practically navigating that in the workplace. So yeah. th- these are, this is a great question. It's a great question. And really in that, in that first Peter three passage, always be prepared to make a defense, a, an, an apology, right? Uh, make a defense for what though? Uh, it's for the hope that we have. It's for the hope right. that because Christ is Lord and because this is our father's world and he has actually not left us in the dark, he's not left us blind to, to walking around, not knowing what a man is or a woman is or, or how they're to relate or anything like that, or yeah. what medical care, like he has opened our eyes. He's given us his spirit. And, and so we actually do have hope. So our message is hope. The way we deliver it is with is by love, in love, based on the truth revealed, um, and we can actually engage this this strange new world. Um, that part of part of trusting Christ is trusting His promises that He will give us everything we need, uh, everything we do need, even now. This is not we have not God has not lost the plot in yeah. in this strange new world. Um, we have what we need by God's grace to to live godly lives and to, to care for our neighbors, to love God, to love our neighbor, even in the midst of all this seeming craziness. Um, and so we, we thank God for that. And we ask for favor, like the apostles in uh, Acts four, we recognize the nations are raging. We recognize that it's all happening according to God's plan, but we ask for boldness in our witness. Mm. And we ask that God would give us more of his spirit in order to engage and love our neighbors as ourselves. So thank you, men until next time. Thanks for listening to Make and Multiply. If you have questions about anything related to discipleship huddles or missional communities or gospel fluency, you can reach out to your missional community leader. And if you're not yet plugged into gospel community at Emmaus Road, visit us online at EmmausRoadSF.com.